The DeFalco Files is an entertainment-based program. Some memories of certain events might be fuzzy. All opinions are that of the host. Content might not be appropriate for children and some adults. Listener discretion is advised. And remember, the truth is here. Vegas Bad Boys of Podcasting presents The DeFalco Files with FSW owner Joe DeFalco and your host, Matt Michaels. Hey everybody, it's Matt Michaels here on The DeFalco Files with the owner and creator of FSW, future stars of wrestling here in Las Vegas, Mr. Joe DeFalco. Joe, how you doing this, uh, this fine Wednesday? Ah, oh, tremendous! I, I see the uh, the new graphics, like the uh, the little scroll, you know. Yeah, well, you know, everyone now can see uh, the results of uh, the Mecca pay per view and uh, catch uh, you know any uh, information for upcoming shows that uh, you have going on. And um, yeah, it's a little uh, upgrade for us, I guess. Um, About time, Christ! Yeah, we're still living in. Uh, 2021 so time to time to take that step forward uh let me ask you um you know we just had mecca on uh friday which was uh a very very uh good event from top to bottom um and we'll talk a little bit about uh everything that uh kind of happened in the matches but let's start with um what time did you find out that um, both uh, uh, Sam Adonis and um, also uh, <laughs> I am I, Davey Richards. Yeah, Davey Richards. What happened uh, with their uh, travel, and uh, at what point did you find out about that and had to adjust? Well, early on Thursday, I got a uh, text from Davey Richards about there being a monster snowstorm and. People weren't really going anywhere at the time. I'll keep you updated. Uh, then later that night, uh, I got a text or a Facebook message, whatever it was, from a doctor. And he's in the big snowstorm in Pittsburgh. Uh, but it didn't seem as bad as the one in St. Louis where Davey's from. So okay. I think I woke up to a text from Davey saying, yeah, there's no movement, blah, blah, blah. Won't be able to make it. It's like, oh, okay. So how are we going to adjust this? Then Remy hit me up. He's like, oh, I just saw about Sam. I'm like, uh, what did you see about Sam? And they're like, oh, yeah, he can't make the show. You know, I saw the Twitter thing. He crossed himself out, apologized, you know, wasn't able to get there. So it was like, oh, okay. Well, as we talked last week, we had plans in place just in case. And one plan was to move TJP uh, into the match with Hammerstone and Cage in case that situation occurred. And at that point, we were going to have a three-way tag and now two other three-way matches on an eight-match card. So I... You know, talked to a couple people, didn't seem to work out, wasn't able to get some people. And I decided after Kenny found out about Sam not being able to be there, he hit me up. He's like, hey, what are you, you thinking? And I said, well, one thought is uh, just replacing you in TJ's spot and keep it a four-way with Casey Navarro and Damian Drake and Jay Vidal. And Kenny was like, hell yeah, man, that'll be a great match. And it was funny because I saw Kenny at the bar after, oh, man, the, the old man hanging with the kids. And it, it turned out to work out, again, both ways. You know, both matches were really, really good. Uh, Kenny's dynamic in the four-way uh, with these, you know, up-and-coming, you know, guys that are going to fly around, take a lot of risks. And then you have Kenny, who's a little more grounded, you know, the, the grizzled vet, I guess you could say, in that situation. And, again, as much running around as I do, I didn't get to see a lot. 
But what I saw of the four-way, I thought it was uh, it was the best match on the show to me. But not good because I only saw bits and pieces, a lot of stuff. Right. Um, and, you know, what is it about inserting a piece like Kenny into a match like that with the young guys? Um, does that maybe boost uh, a little bit of either the confidence or maybe the adrenaline and excitement for guys like Jay Vidal and Damian Drake and, and Casey Navarro, who, I mean, this is Casey's second time out here. He wrestled Chris Bay uh, back at the uh, anniversary show. Um, and he looks really, really good mixed in with a Damian Drake and a Jay Vidal. Does Kenny King just bring that to a, another level, um, just being that he's so experienced that if anything, let's say, went wrong or or needed to uh, be called on the fly, there's a little comfort there with having him in the mix? Well, the thing with Casey Navarro was uh, when we first used him, which wasn't that long ago, so June, so July, August, November, December, January. It actually is eight months ago, so it was a pretty long time ago. And at that point, he made a couple of appearances on AEW Dark by June. Well, fast forward to February. Now he's working the MLW tapings. He worked more of the AEW. And I really was able to notice a far more polished professional wrestler this time around. Like, we, I always talk about how, you know, major league talent. You know, I mean, Eli Drake let us the first time to go to WWE developmental. Didn't work out for him, but when he came back, you could just see the polish on him that, you know, he was a professional wrestler. You know, we've seen it in Brian Cage. And we also saw it Friday night uh, with with Kevin Cross. You know, here's a guy who had all the tools in the world, but now, you know, you don't confuse him with one of the best indie workers around, one of the best indie talents. You look at him as, wow, this guy is a, is a true national wrestling star. And, you know, fortunately, we trained him. So, you know, we we got the good buzz of being his first show back. You know, Scarlett came in with him. So, you know, everybody was pretty pissed that when he made the main roster that somehow she was excluded from it, which was, you know, typical old ways of WWE, WWF, that they would take the act from OVW and bring it over and they would totally change it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. The first, first one who comes to mind, too, is is Rico. Because he was definitely one of those guys that uh, you had. Um, you know, Rico Constantino was a great uh, part of OVW and was just as popular and just as good. And maybe even better than guys like John Cena at the time. And he comes up there and he gets the, you know, the flamboyant gimmick. Um, and you know, here with the return, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Scarlet because I think that was my favorite thing I've seen probably in a long time was, uh, Scarlet giving a Canadian destroyer to Jacob Fatu. Holy shit. Yeah. You know, that was, uh, I'd have to, I'd be far-fetched to not say that wasn't the, the biggest pop of the night. It, you know, it just goes to show, too, um, with, you know, talking polish, I think just how um, giving that Jacob Fatu is because he as well, you know, being on MLW and being part of the uh, the Dynasty bloodline is definitely a polished guy. Um, did the match itself uh, come off as, as good as you hoped? And at what point did you decide that it was going to be for the Mecca Championship. Uh, when Scarlett said uh, issues with the flight, uh, we have to get out of here by a certain time. So there was no choice but then to move it up. It wasn't uh, like, hey, let me just move this match up. That was the main event of the show. And right. 
but the you know, um, they, had a flight at, they had a flight out at midnight, so they were good to go. If we got to ten thirty, which we didn't even get to, we probably got to ten fifteen, ten twenty, and unfortunately, you know, we had to move some things around. Um, but but the match itself was for the Mecca Championship. At what time did you decide it was going to be for the championship? Because as of Tuesday, um, when we recorded the pre-show, uh, the Mecca Championship was uh, at that point not uh, announced as being uh, something that was going to be on the line. Okay, well, first off, it's not the Mecca Championship. It's the Mecca Grand Championship. Far different. Okay. Uh, I decided that at the show, probably when I saw Cross, I said, hey, I have an idea because I saw the belt sitting on the table, uh, the commentary table. And I'm like, you know, we waited a long time. We crowned a champion. Uh, There was a delay in the belt. And it was kind of like, okay, where do we go with this? You know, didn't want to go back to the four-man tournament. It had been a long time. So it became like, you know what? I think this would be a good way to top off the show. And initially, you know, Kevin was scheduled to do a promo earlier in the match, earlier in the show, like, you know, uh, match two. After that, he was supposed to come out. But then all of a sudden, when everything happened, we decided to do everything in one segment. And that's when he announced, which, you know, Back in hindsight, I would have probably preferred to have made that announcement before than, you know, him cutting a promo. They're all excited about his return. You know, that kind of became an afterthought to him, you know, talking about coming back. And it, it, it was um, it was definitely a cool optic, uh, you know, to see him with the belt and then putting Scarlet on the shoulder. Uh, reminiscent of, of uh, you know, the macho man putting uh, Elizabeth on the shoulder with the belt on, on her shoulder. Um, what did you think about, uh, and the thing that's getting talked about, obviously, is uh, Kevin's promo at the end of the match where he did talk about, um, you know, the last four months on TV being kind of, you know, whatever the hell that was, but it was FSW and the fans who helped create the character that he brought to NXT that brought it to the next level. And that was in his words, um, you know, really fucking good, uh, you know, TV with, with NXT. What are your thoughts on that type of promo that he cut? And um, do you uh, foresee, cause he, he finished by saying that he, he will be back. Um, do you see him being more of a regular fixture at least right now, uh, while he's still deciding what he's going to do in the future. Well, I wouldn't say he's a regular. I highly doubt we're going to see him, you know, at the FSW arena. You know, financially, he's in a great position now to make uh, a shit ton of money to, to do things. You know, right. he is a hot commodity. You know what I mean? And, you know, you got to take advantage when you know strike when the iron's hot and right now that combination is hot so you know he's gonna get booked all over the place but you know hopefully he has that soft spot spot in his heart for fsw like he said you know i even said that numerous times to different people i'm like most of the time when you create a character and you end up making it to the big leagues that character has been changed a hundred times And he's the only guy who took the FSW Kevin Cross character and he took it to AAA in Mexico. He took it to Impact and he took it to NXT where they didn't fuck with it in any way that he was basically the toll man. He was that guy. It was the same thing on in every major promotion, which is amazing, especially for a guy who had at the time when he first maybe went to AAA and stuff, you know, being in there for only X amount of years to them having the confidence. And that just goes to show about his character, his gimmick. And that's the most important thing. You know, as I said, 
when we first brought him in, his wrestling was all right, and he continued to get better. But he was always an A-plus when it came to promoting himself with the videos, with his character, and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, speaking of uh, guys who have gone on to uh, bigger and better things, you had Chris Bay going against Matt Vandegrift. Uh, what are your thoughts on the uh, that match, uh, which I thought was a really solid match? Um, also, uh, what are your thoughts on um, Matt Vandergriff now uh, becoming a Florida resident and uh, trying to uh, start establishing his name on the East Coast? Well, I'm not fond of it. You know, by him leaving, that means we have one less really, really great guy on the roster who worked all the shows. You know what I mean? And, you know, it's disappointing, but he's doing what he feels is best for his career. You know, going on the East Coast feels that there's uh, a few more opportunities than he may have here on the West Coast. I disagree, but, you know, he's a young kid and he, he's looking to get to that next level. And, you know, hopefully that gets him there. You know, we talked. He'll be around again. It's just a matter of when. And, um in terms of, uh, you know, how you're talking character with Kevin and uh, bringing it to NXT, what do you think Impact Wrestling has done for Chris Bay in terms of uh, accelerating his uh, progress as a professional? And um, did do you think that the Bullet Club uh, moniker has helped Chris with uh, adding to his uh, character in the ring? Well, Chris Bay could shine on his own, but by being included in that, it takes him to another level for people who weren't that aware of him. You know what I mean? It, it, you know, being placed as, as, hey, you are the part of the Bullet Club, you know, that's, that is internationally known. So right, wrong, indifferent, the way it's perceived in Impact Wrestling you know, there's kind of the offshoots and you got the good brothers or they bullet club anymore. And, and you got the gorillas of destiny and you got, you know, when people talk about AJ Styles and, you know, even, you know, the young bucks and, and everything, it's kind of like NWO to where there's so many different factions and stuff, but right. for a young guy, 25, 26 year old, like Chris Bay, you know, he can bring that moniker when now he's looking to get bookings on the East Coast or he's trying to get more money for a booking. It's like, hey, I'm Chris Bay. I represent the Bullet Club, you know, you know, as, as great as Chris Bay is representing Chris Bay. You know, the Bullet Club is a different standard. You know, it's, it's done a lot of big things in the wrestling business. And now he's a part of. It. Yeah, um, the. One match that was uh, very intriguing that turned out to be a, a very uh, well thought out and planned out match was Funny Bone versus Sandra Moon. Do you think uh, that Sandra did prove that she could go with a, a guy like Funny Bone? Well, yeah, you know, I thought it was an important match. We, we, we were scouring for, you know, a women's title defense. The thing is, being the Mecca show, I'm not really just looking for her to wrestle some random girl from, you know, the West Coast who isn't perceived at that level. You know, right. we pride ourselves on having the best people for the Mecca. And to leave Funny Bone off, to put in somebody who I would think is not superior to him. And at that point, you know, we were looking at guys like Dan Housen and other things to wrestle Funny Bone. You know, and when that didn't work out, I said, you know what I think? I think if we did Funny Bone versus Sandra Moon, people would actually care. And it turned out they did. And, you know, and that's the part of the booking thing that you're always trying to 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 think what's best and what the fans will want to see. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it did. It turned out really uh, just a really nice, nice, solid match. Um, elsewhere on the card, that, um, opener with Remy versus Willie, is it kind of cool to see taking two very well-loved wrestlers, um, 
in Vegas, very well known, and putting them together in a match and having that as an opening match, is that something that you look at as either way the fans win on that one because of the fact that, you know, it's, I would guess that, um, that, you know, if you went to one person, they'd say they're, they're a Remy fan. If you went to another person, they're a Willie fan. Does that kind of help start the, uh, the show off with a, a buzz and an excitement that would, uh, you know, generate to keep the fans interested? Well, you always want th- the opening match to get people excited, enthralled, ready to enjoy a big, big show. You know, I'm generally not the guy that's looking to put, okay, this might be what received as, I I don't want to say the worst match on the show, but maybe the least anticipated match on the show. I want there to be a big match to get everybody pumped for the rest of the evening. And being as popular as Remy is, and every time Willie comes back to FSW, the crowd is extremely excited to see Willie Matt. So I felt, you know, with Willie and Remy, we know it's going to be a fast-paced match. So the crowd's definitely going to get behind it. So it's like, well, that is, to me, the best option uh, to do. You know, the four-way is always another option. I, I love those you know, fatal four ways, one pin wins, a lot of excitement. Uh, but I felt with the popularity of the two guys that that would be the best option to where we were going to go. And uh, finally, you had a, a number one uh, tag team contenders match with uh, Shogun and Hero uh, going over on uh, Sky High and Death Proof. For you, what do you see in terms of uh, how you're building Shogun and Hero and where do you, how do you draw the line? How do you figure out the issue with the tag team titles because of the fact that, you know, uh, you have Toa who's been used by AEW uh, very, very much frequently uh, on the Friday nights on their dark tapings. Um, and, um, unfortunately juicy couldn't, uh, make the show as well. Um, how is that working for you in terms of trying to plan out who are the number one contenders, um, and when a match like that might happen so that if you have to get the belts off of them, you can to at least, uh, you know, grow the tag team, uh, title, uh, anticipation a, a little more, uh, you know, regularly uh, than having um, the titles not really being able to be defended. You know, unfortunately, well, I guess fortunately for Toa, you know, he was a guy who was making as many FSW shows as he could. Juicy being a hot commodity, he was a little more difficult to get in the mix and we had some settled on some dates. And unfortunately, you know, we had, Toa booked for the New Year's show. And then all of a sudden, AEW came knocking. Then we actually, on the 14th of January, uh, Juicy wasn't going to make it. So we had set up after what happened uh, at the last big show we did that Toa and Hammerstone were going to wrestle for the heavyweight championship. And then, you know, again, a week beforehand, AEW came knocking. You know, Toe has gotten himself uh, a little bit of an updated schedule. And we're looking to confirm the date, you know, uh, with him juicy. And, you know, if we can get more dates, then great. Is it frustrating when... uh... I, I guess it would be more frustrating for the the talent, um, but is it frustrating when you see um, guys like that being used um, and not having an actual uh, offer yet, or having signed with you know whether it be AEW or another company? Um, you know, is that something that you would like to see 
a guy who would be under contract be under contract so then you know you are not really going to you know 99 percent of the time you're not going to kind of get screwed based on um the call coming from the company to have them go out and, and work a show is that just frustrating when you know you have these guys who are doing well for you and then you have to deal with another company um basically pulling them well you, you know you, you know what you're in for when you get there you know obviously the thing is uh toa wasn't working for any of those companies at the time so we didn't perceive it as a problem you know usually you know the process is you're going to go in there and it's going to take some time you know to get noticed to be brought in but you know power more power to him he they they, they really uh, enjoyed what they saw from him very quickly and decided they wanted him to be a little bit more part of the situation. Right. So, you know, you have to adjust. You have to figure out ways. You know, the funny thing was uh, we were going to have a tag match and it was going to uh, be Tito Escondido, who's part of the MK Army with Toa and Juicy. Yeah. And with the MK Army... Because of the issues with Juicy not being able to make it, then we had to change up what we were going to do. And with the MK Army, um, that's a question I had is, uh, where was MK? Was he not available or was it because uh, there wasn't really an MK Army guy on the show that, uh, you know, he, he didn't uh, come in for this one? Uh, no, he, he had, uh, you know, we know he, in his other uh, profession, he basically runs an engineering company. And when we were putting everything together, he didn't even realize that, you know, their biggest convention of the year was happening the same weekend and you know we had talked about it he had gotten sam adonis to come in so he technically you know the mk army was in effect with sam adonis who could have been another addition in there with juicy so as i said we planned on it until uh juicy became unavailable and and you know after everything was set and then mk is like man i'm an idiot you know, I just realized blah, 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 blah. So, you know, he'll be back here on the 18th. So. And I think you just made FSW fans uh, laugh out loud because uh, I think a lot of them would agree with you that uh, MK is an idiot. Uh, that seems to be the. Uh, there you have it. The, the consensus. Uh, he's such a good heel that people just uh, despise him. Uh you know, talking AEW um, and uh, seeing her uh, kind of incognito at the show, kind of hanging out. Maserati um, had a really nice match with uh, Kiera Hogan. Do you think that Maz is, uh, you know, close to being one of the people who um, might be picked up by AEW, depending on, you know, how they're building their women's division? Or could we even see possibly Maz showing up uh, for like Impact or um, ROH uh, if it does come back? Well, she, you know, she has been used at Impact. She has been used at Ring of Honor, and now she's been used at AEW. So obviously, she's on a lot of people's radar. You know word on the street was there was a good chance that ring of honor was going to bring her in regularly, but then they decided they weren't going to bring anybody in regularly. So, you know, unfortunately for her shit out of luck, you know? So, but she's, she, you know, she keeps going, you know, no quitting her, you know, and we're just finding the right spot for her. She's ready to wrestle in FSW. Uh, just everything going on we haven't been able to utilize her, but you know, 2022, we, we sure do expect it. 
Um, looking forward, uh, speaking of uh, 2022 and, and where we're going this year with FSW as a company, um, the first question is, are you in talks or have any ideas or plans um, for anything in Dallas right now since WrestleMania uh, is coming up a little bit quicker now that we're in February? Uh, yeah, uh, I've talked with Brett in the collective and, you know, there's just a lot of moving parts. You know, we're now maybe six weeks away and there was very few time slots available. Uh, they were looking at uh, an early Friday morning spot and between the cost and having time and, you know, things I got to deal with, with, uh, you know, going back to New York, you know, it's really hard to figure out, you know, the revenue streams and what the cost is going to be and lining up the talent. I think it's going to be really difficult this year. You know, I, I was trying to get it, you know, done, you know, a month or two ago and now the conversations are starting to have, and now the options are very limited to not many slots and you know i'm not the guy who's just going to go there to run a show to say i ran a show there and lose my ass you know i got to make sure there's a, a potential at least you know again there's plenty of shows we run that we're not looking at it as hey how much money are we going to make on this one it's more like at the mecca was like how little are we going to lose on this show you know what i mean but the buzz yeah. is there. We got Cross. We got Davy Richards. I'm, I was not concerned that we weren't expecting, you know, that particular show to walk out of there with this profit. You know, with if you add all the talent in, you know, the change of venue, everything was last minute. You know, we weren't really able to work out the deal we wanted to because we didn't have a lot of options. And, you know, we loved going back to the Silver Nugget. But we were not in a position of what we can offer you it was more what you can offer us. And this is the first time you've run here in nine or 10 years. Almost everybody who was there when you ran doesn't live, doesn't work here anymore. So you have to go out and prove yourself. Now, do I believe we did? Absolutely. Does that give us better deals down the line? I think. Yeah, absolutely. But first time around, you know, we, in turn, we didn't have to really worry about a drink guarantee. But the bottom line was the cost of the show ended up being way more. So yeah. now we're looking at it as, OK, how we can, you know, extend the revenue streams. You know, usually we hadn't been using the guardrails. Well, you know, with more time, we could have put together some, you know, hey, you know, do a banner advertisement for something that might be a little less than a normal sponsorship that people would go into you know be interested in but you got to remember you know we probably found out two and a half three weeks before the event that it wasn't happening where we had booked it so you know as i said credit to the silver nugget we got it done in you know probably four five six days but that's another week knocked off so we're, we're announcing maybe 13 days before the show. Hey, by the way, we're going to be at the silver nugget and credit to the yeah. fans. They bought tickets without even knowing where the venue was. We didn't, we didn't announce the venue until we knew for sure. Even though toward the end, we started letting everybody know, Hey, hey we're going to be back where we were, blah, blah, blah. And then probably that first day or two is when we got the call that they were going to, pick somebody else because they were going to give them more money for the one event. Ah, uh, and, uh, I'm, I'm sure that, uh, Filipino rock star or rap star or whatever he, he is, or they are, um, I'm sure they, they did very well for that venue. Um, and well, uh, they made their money on it. So I, if there was 10 people there, they probably still got paid by the promoter that was going to give them a lot of money. So whatever. Yeah. Um, when you, uh, look at your 
uh, Fight TV, you know, being your your pay per view hub for the Mecca event. How quickly do you see a turnaround of numbers to know um, how many pay per views are bought? And um, oh, we know immediately. You know immediately, and and immediately. does that also? And does that also? Uh, is it also show up immediately too for? any replay buys because right now if fans missed it you can uh still get it on fight tv for uh 14.99 um and i believe too the the network you're running a promotion uh where it will be available for um subscribers new subscribers on the network how is that working uh, I believe it's anybody who has signed up for a six-month or a one-year membership that was paid up front. Okay, yeah. So that's one way you can also uh, see the Mecca event. But uh, for you, with those Fight TV numbers, uh, did you do uh, as well as you'd hope to have done um, with the uh, the pay-per-view only being fourteen ninety-nine? Is Opposed to some of the pay per views that, that are out there that are you know twenty bucks, twenty five bucks, forty bucks, etc. Well, we don't know what anybody else ever sells. You know, we know GCW is the is the standard in at Fight TV as the top selling you know consistent pay per view. Uh, the biggest pay per view buys we ever had was our FSW GCW show which had the buzz of Nick Gage and all those people. And we are literally, you know, less than less than that away. We're almost exactly at the same for an FSW-only event. Sure, we got the return across. There was good buzz. But what more was more exciting to me is it breaks down the buys. And, of course, the majority of buys is in the United States. But we literally have 14 different countries that are represented by making purchases uh, for the Mecca. You know, Indonesia, New Zealand. It was like, wow, you know, and you got to credit Fight TV because it's obviously somebody who goes on Fight TV. And they saw, you know, the poster for the event and says, wow, that looks like a really good card. They posted some of the matches. You know, we're going to give this a shot. So, you know, hopefully we made a new fan in Indonesia this weekend. And don't underestimate the power of the DeFalco files because we have, uh, you know, followers in places like Indonesia and uh, all around the world as well. So, you know, that's one of the coolest things, not only about, you know, podcasts or, you know, streaming services, but just the way that wrestling fans can now, you know, consume things that it wasn't even thought of, you know, hardly at all back, you know, 15 years ago, uh, let alone 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Is that something that um, you just kind of get a smile on your face to know that there is such a reach and that you actually are, um, you know, touching these fans enough to make them want to purchase uh, an FSW pay-per-view. Is that, you know, especially with uh, when you think of other countries, a lot of times it's not, um, you know, it's, it's a luxury almost to spend money on something like a pay-per-view. Oh, yeah, no, without a doubt, you know, that that's part of the reason why we got involved with that. We were always trying to expand our base because I never looked at FSW as, you know, a Vegas wrestling company. As right. I always try to say, we're based in Las Vegas. You know, we used the best talent we can whenever we can. You know, we generally focus on the Vegas, California, Arizona guys, but we have no problem going out and bringing people in whenever it's the bigger shows. We'll grab anybody from anywhere, you know, that, that that's interested in working and we feel can, you know, enhance what FSW is about. You know, we knew that our talent is as good or better than just about anybody. You know, when we went head to head with GCW, nobody was going to look at it and say, 
oh, man, this is garbage. You know, GCW, these guys are way better. Like, you know, I'm going to put Chris Bay and Hammerstone and and those are the national guys. But I'm also going to put over the the Matt Vandegrift, Jay Vidal, Remy Marcel, Cody, Damian Drake, you know, whoever else, Jacob Boston Young. All those guys are as good as any anybody else that's on those shows. It's just they, you know, they caught the hot streak and they got that indie buzz about them. And, you know, those people that those guys are beloved, you know, you know, and, you know, that's great for them. You know, they found that niche when the pandemic hit and Ring of Honor wasn't really running. And GCW legitimately is like, the ECW of the modern age and they have those passionate fans that they travel, you know, they go crazy. They buy merch, you know, it's amazing how different that company is than when it was, you know, four years ago, you know, when I look back and I see messages from GCW, like, Hey, we got some guys you might be interested in using and blah, blah, blah. And like, oh, yeah, you know, we'll take a look at it. And, you know, we kept in touch a little bit. But then finally, uh, we've had the opportunity to help them out and work with them and stuff. And uh, shout out to uh, Brad Reeder. Uh, He posted a picture of uh, he's doing, uh, I think it's 30 days of wrestling shirts. And he posted a picture of his daughter. Um, They had gone to see the GCW show at the Hammerstein Ballroom. And it was, you know, that throwback uh, ECW. I think it was the ECFNW shirt. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Just yeah. yes. Yeah. So that was that was really cool to see. Um, you know, and and speaking of uh, someone like Brad's daughter, who sees a lot of uh, indie shows, um, and I noticed that there was a nice amount of kids in the audience. What what are your feelings in terms of? Uh, building that fan base of uh young eyes and you know how many uh you know how many damian drakes in the world are going to come from this event because damian is one of the guys that his first live wrestling show was actually at the silver nugget (laughs) as a kid well you know you got to start them young and the thing is if you can get kids to the show that means the parents have to take them and, you know, one thing I did notice, because you could tell in the crowd reactions, like, for example, when Cross came out, I thought it was going to be a sea of people, you know, standing room going crazy. But I saw a lot of new faces there. And there was not as much, but a close amount of love for Jacob Fatu, who's never appeared in an FSW ring as yeah. there was for Cross. Now, they love Cross, but there was some dueling chants, and maybe Cross had a little more than Jacob. But the fact that there was a dueling chant was something I would have never believed could happen. And, you know, I run the door at the events and because I know the people, and, you know, I write everything down because we don't do the tickets. So because people buying them through the PayPal and the Cash App or whatever through the website. And there was a lot of faces that I didn't recognize which means there was a lot of fans, whether it was because it was over there. It, it's hard to believe because we weren't up on the marquee, something that we hope to change, being on Las Vegas right. Boulevard within a mile or two of the Nellis Air Force Base. You know, we handed out a bunch of flyers at Broadacre Swap Meet, which has probably 10,000 people going through it every day. You know what I mean? Did that help? We don't know. You know, was it the social media? Was it? You know, we we know very early on, you, you know what I mean? So it's always intriguing to know and finding out the reasons why this show, I would have to say, is the biggest show since the last Mecca, you know, yeah. as well as we did for the anniversary show numbers wise. You know, th- it was pretty close, but it looks like uh, uh, Mecca 7 has been the biggest draw that we've had in over two years. Um, as we look forward to uh, high octane and uh, what's going to be uh, going on for 
you know, the, the stories in the future, uh, what are we looking at in terms of where you go with, you know, a, a heavyweight championship in Hammerstone, the, you know, Nevada state championship with Remy, um, you know, we talked a little already about the tag belts, um, and the Gnome Limits uh, Championship, of course, as well with Jay Vidal. And, of course, we talked a little bit about Sandra Moon and the women's title. Um, how are you – how do you look forward after coming off of a show that is essentially, um, you know, a special show because of the outside talent coming in? How do you start looking then at the blueprint – from getting from this coming high octane to the next big show and what is the next big show fans can look forward to well that's always the million dollar question so february 4th we did make a set okay uh we're hoping that we can secure a date we already have a date for may okay uh aew will be here may 29th on the sunday uh, another company we work closely with plans on being here on Saturday, the 28th, which means we have a choice of maybe doing an early show Saturday, the 28th, maybe at two o'clock, or most likely we go back to the Friday night, the 27th. It's Memorial Day weekend. We kind of make that, you know, to me, in my eyes, we have two options because our very first show was Memorial Day weekend. So that could be the 13th anniversary show. Or we can combine it and make it Mecca 8 because of the of everything that's going to probably be going on with AEW that weekend. We have a good opportunity to have a lot more wrestling fans, especially with the other company we're working with, having their fans here. So... You know, we're looking at that as, you know, the next, you know, super, super weekend. You know, we're also looking at, I believe, Fourth of July weekend with the Money in the Bank pay-per-view at Allegiant Stadium. So, you know, we're not sure. Are they running Saturday? Are they running Sunday? Initially, they said they were running Saturday. Well, we'd love to run a Sunday show. It's been a while since we've had a big Sunday show. So... We know that's in May. We know the, uh, the WWE show's in July. But before then, we're looking at something probably toward the end of March. And then WrestleMania is, you know, the next week. So do we want to run like that? Maybe. But then we're going to look at, you know, maybe it's a tax day big show. I don't know. Everybody getting their tax money back. But, you know, if we're going to run at the end of May either the last week of March or sometime in April, uh, you know, we're hoping to return to the silver nugget as for high octane on the uh, February 18th. So it's a week from Friday, you know, we're only 10 days away from that one. You know, we've already got uh, signed to appear the FSW heavyweight champion, Hammerstone, the Nevada state champion, uh, Remy Marcel and, you know, there's numerous people. Jay Vidal and Damian Drake uh, are going to be representing FSW elsewhere, so they won't be on the show. Uh, still haven't finalized some things. Uh, there's going to be some talent that we have used in the past that we're bringing back. Brandon Gatson will be there. Steven Tresario will be there. And uh, there's a rumor the, uh, the, the Lights Camera Faction will be uh, making their return. So, you know, it'd be interesting to see where, you know, Ice Williams goes after now for the first time in a very long time, not having that no limits championship around his waist. Yeah. And uh, you know, that's, that's exciting to see uh, what the next uh, step is for those guys um, being that they are, probably one of the most beloved hated uh, factions uh, in the, <laughs> in maybe all of the world. Um, when you look at that much talent again, and the luxury you have that if guys like Damian Drake and Jay Vidal and then Mac Vander Griff going to Florida and you kind of see that, you know, spreading out where those guys are starting to get those other bookings 
And then you're able to say, well, yeah, they're getting the bookings, but now we can offer spots for Ice Williams and, you know, Hammerstone will be here and, and Remy's here. Is that just a very, I mean, I know it's hard as a booker because there's so much talent and you're always trying to figure out what's best for what you see as your vision. But in terms of the fans getting constantly some of the best wrestling they can get, does that just make you proud that, you know, between um, people wanting to go to the FSW school and to train at FSW and to see those guys progress to the point where as other guys fan out, the next batch is coming up, especially guys like uh, Nick Xander, who uh, we saw take on Thomas Day in the um, in the dark match, the the pre-show match uh, on Mecca Seven, and um, guys like Brett the Threat, and of course uh, the uh, young prodigy Bodie, who uh, you know is not going to be a, a little kid anymore <laughs> because he's starting to get to the point where he's you know going to be a a main player pretty soon. And, and that's the thing, you know, you look at the wall of fame and you see, you know, just a year ago, Lacey Ryan was our women's champion. You know, at the anniversary show, Sefa Fatu uh, was in a main program. And within six months, he is now probably the number two guy in NXT, you know, yeah. behind Braun Breaker, you know, and it's always retooling. It's bringing in new people. And it's like, Hey, you know, Eli Everfly, he's been hurt. So hopefully he'll be back in the next month or two. As I said, Brandon Gatson will be there. Wise guy's going to be there. You know, uh, Brett, the threat, Bodie, Nick Xander, you know, some of the tag teams, you know, there, there, there's so much talent that it's okay. And I encourage it. You know, whether it's Hammerstone or, you know, I won't say Bay because Bay's not a regular. Bay, Bay's with Impact and, and he comes in, you know, and, and helps us out. He's now actually uh, become one of also our trainers. So he's, uh, you know, you got Chris Bay, you got TJ Perkins, you got D'Lo around, you got Sin Bodie, you got Cody. You know, Jay Vidal is helping out a little bit. Damian Drake's always helped out. You know, it's just a great core. You know, before that, we had Davari and Allison Danger, who we both lost, you know, to WWE. Kikataro, we got lost to the uh, the powers that be that uh, confiscated his passport and sent him back to Japan. So, you know, we're always retooling. Davari leaves, TJ comes in. You know, D'Lo becomes the head of Impact. So we brought in Allison Danger. And right now we have cheerleader Melissa helping out here and there. You know, so it, it, it's always trying to give the these newer students, who in most cases are pretty ungrateful, but that's beside the point, that they don't understand what they're getting and what's right in front of their face. You know, yeah. and there was numerous teams that are, Pretty much you would say on the main roster that weren't at Mecca. And, of course, they weren't around to help because, you know, they they believe that they're better than that. And, you know, it's sad when you would see guys, you know, like a Cody or a Vandegrift or a Damian Drake. You know, they've been at it a long time and they still help out when they can. When then you see a guy who's only been doing it a couple of years and he's had some success. And they're nowhere to be found unless they think there might be an opportunity for them. Right. But they don't understand there might be more opportunities for them. If I looked around on days that we needed help, that they weren't a part of it, that they were still there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's a very valid uh, point. And I know, uh, you know, when you, when you talk to Rocky about that, being that Rocky is, you know, the one uh, who's, uh, and in this case, for the for the Silver Nugget, did a lot of work to get that stage prepared and to, you know, make sure everything was ready for the actual, um, you know, stage and ring and and everything in the venue that that needed to be in place. Yeah, you kind of break it up, but I didn't hear most of this question. I know you, 
I'll go on record and say uh, we were setting up the ring, uh, setting up for the show on Thursday at about 3.30. And I was surprised because we did have a huge turnout for that. So, you know, as much as I want to say things, I'll, I'll give a lot of credit. You know, even a guy who is higher up the card, a former champion, you know, Ice Williams and the faction were there. You know what I mean? And the Suavecito uh, Ricky was there. And, uh, you know, Sky High was there. And a lot of the younger guys were there. But, again, there was other people that were pretty conspicuous by their absence. And I didn't see them at all. But the minute I see them at the school, oh, you know, we on the show on the 18th? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, we'll see. You know. <laughs> Um, as we uh, kind of get to the uh, end here and, and wrap up, um, you know, this uh, coming Sunday is the big game between the Buccaneers or not the Buccaneers, the uh, the Bengals and the uh, Rams. Uh, Joe being the aficionado, um, what are you looking at and uh, who should I uh, place my money on? Well, I should be counting my money of the Buffalo Bills versus the Rams in the Super Bowl that I had the money on. And if the, if the Buffalo Bills weren't going to make the Super Bowl, well, at least I knew the Kansas City Chiefs would be there, who I think would be, you know, a great game, the Rams and the Chiefs. But somehow they blew that fucking game. And the Bengals, who Joe Burrow, great quarterback, Chase, great receiver, Mixon, great running back. But to me, they were, they're that young team that they should be ecstatic that they got as far as they did. And a lot of those situations, when it comes time for the big, big game, they're just happy to be there. You know, Matthew Stafford may be happy to be there, but he's had to prove for 10, 15 years how good he is because he was on the shittiest team in the NFL and it would be like, yeah, but Matthew Stafford's great. Well, it's like, yeah, well, let's see what he does when he's on a good team instead of padding his stats at the end of the game that they're losing all the time. And, see, that's why he threw for 300 yards. So I think with the line that it is, I got to go with the Rams. I think they're I think they're a better team to begin with. They got better defense. They got better offense. And... The other coach, I guess he's a great coach, it's, but it's his first year. And, yeah. you know, the Rams coach has been there. You know, he got a team to the Super Bowl with fucking Jared Goff, who sucks. So, yeah. you know, I think the one thing the Rams lack is a great running game, but the guys have been playing pretty well. So my prediction will be, let's see, they got a good kicker, so it can't be all touchdowns. I'm going to go with uh, 27-17 All right. in favor that, of the Rams. Yeah, that's a fair assessment. Um, I think that one of the things that we might see is um, I, the momentum of the Bengals winning games they shouldn't have won. Um, that makes me a little nervous that the Rams won't pull it out, uh, you know, that they – the, the Bengals just might have that that uh, underdog luck on their side. But they, they may, but a lot of, you know, you can go either way. They got this great momentum. They're destined to win or, hey, they've gotten lucky to win the games. You know, yeah. it's finally going to catch up on them and then they're going to get their ass beat. So whichever side you want to go to, it, it's it's easy to make points in both ways. I just think they're young. I think that you know, the other team's better. And I think that's the only reason. Cincinnati was in last place last year. Man, I would have wished I would have bet Cincinnati. They were probably 100 to 1 before the season started. Yeah. And the other fascinating thing is this year, if the Rams win, it will be back to back years where the home team was on their home field and won a Super Bowl, which last year was the first time that that ever happened. So I think the Rams kind of have that also on their side, being able to play at home. Um, no, nope, they're not. They're not at home. 
everybody at the Ram game is always rooting for the other team. The Rams have no fan base. There was more fans that were there cheering against them. You know, go watch the game with the Buccaneers. Go watch the game with Green Bay. Go watch the game with whoever. And you look in the thing. It's the same thing with the Chargers. That anybody else who played them was technically the home team. Like you could tell, you know, there's a there's a, a penalty, and all of a sudden the penalties against the Rams, and the crowd's going nuts. So they're playing in a stadium that they're very familiar with, but yeah. you know, and again in the Super Bowl there is no home team because I'm pretty sure no fans actually get tickets to the to the game. So and, and I heard there's got to be like some lottery. Five million people are trying to get, you know, 10,000 tickets. I, you know, being, being, having been in LA for, for 20 years, I have a lot of friends who are Rams fans uh, who have gone to games during the regular season. And when they looked online for tickets and not resale tickets, just regular tickets, I think it was starting somewhere around two grand for tickets. And so well, they're all resale tickets. The Super Bowl yeah. sold out before it even exists. Right. So, yeah, I mean, that's it's something that I think you, you've got a great point is that it's a neutral uh, fan base because of the fact that most of the people can't afford tickets uh, from, you know, the actual city. Although, you know, the Buccaneers had a really nice crowd last year. Um, that it really was kind of the feeling of a home field, but you do make a valid point that, uh, yeah, it's, it's, they're familiar with the stadium, but, uh, the fan base. Yeah. That I know I'm going to have people who are a little upset at you for, uh, calling out the uh, LA fans like that, but, uh, you know, the truth hurts sometimes. So. Well, they can't um, sell tickets. They can't sell tickets. That ain't my fault. I, you know, I'm only just pointing out facts. Um, any final words uh, as we uh, wrap up here this week? All right, I'm you a, broke up again. So I heard I'm you say sorry. any final words, and that was the last yeah. I heard. Any final words you have this week, man? You know what? It, it, it was great to run, you know, a really big show again. You know, it's totally different than running the regular shows. And, and, and we love the regular shows. But, you know, this it's a lot of hard work to put this, this together, you know, bringing in some of the big names. You know, I never thought that uh, we'd have travel issues because of weather in Las Vegas. But. You know, we made do. The crowd was so strong. The the card was so strong that the fact that in reality, three or four people didn't make it because with the issue with Toa and then became juicy, it also left Tito off the card. There, there was five guys that were scheduled to appear that didn't. And, you know, we didn't miss a beat. You look at that card from beginning to end. And, you know, it was a great card. You know, all our fans, they were happy to be there. They loved it. You know, we got to upgrade a little bit of the Silver Nugget. The uh, the restaurant was closed. They did have a taco truck, which was fine. But we want more options for the fans. Uh, the fact of the matter is, in, in technical terms, eh, it was only half full. Well, because it seats like a thousand. You know what I mean? So it's like, well, we... As great as a crowd it was, we still have room to grow in there and still have great seating for everybody. You know, we basically had about 500 people there, and I definitely am not going to complain about that. But, you know, 700, 800, 900, you know, let's break, let's start breaking some records. Well, you know, uh, one way you can do that, Joe, is uh, book that Hardy Boys uh, reunion tour. Uh, you know, uh, find yes. former FSW champion who, uh, you know, still uh, kind of owes you an appearance there. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, 
every time he sends a message, I guess uh, there's been an issue with it because I haven't received it. So I'm still still waiting for that call back there, Matt. If you're listening, Matt Hardy, give me a call, will you? <laughs> and remember, everyone, you can uh, purchase the replay on Fight TV for Mecha 7. It's $14.99. Um, and like Joe said earlier, you can uh, join the network, and I believe it is a subscription for six months. Uh, that does get you uh, access to watch uh, the Mecca on the uh, network. Plus, you get to see uh, everything else that's on there, which is a, a great selection of uh, original shows, uh, as well as the um, the past uh, FSW shows uh, that you can catch. And um, again, please follow the uh, Vegas Bad Boys of Podcasting. And uh, until next week, Joe, have a safe trip to uh, New York, and uh, we'll uh, talk to you guys uh, next week.